Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for all that you have done for us and mostly for giving us Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, because he is truly God with us. These songs that we sing are just so beautiful because, you know, we have a newborn king and he's not a newborn king anymore. Um, he's been... He's been king for 2,000 years and present in our lives, Father God. And I just pray that uh, through this service, through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that we pray, the liturgy that we speak and that we take in, through the Word of God read and the Word of God preached, Lord, that you would make your way just a little bit more into each and every one of our hearts, God, and draw us closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And I just pray that you will take these small words that I bring, and make them a spiritual meal for your people. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm sorry I'm still futzing around with this. I was told to put it a different place this time because it doesn't come through as well. So we'll see how this goes. I think I got it on there. All right, we'll give that a try. Just what uh, all great public speakers do, right? They put this stuff all together right in front of you. Well, well, Merry Christmas. We are still celebrating Christmas in the, the church. This is our first Sunday after Christmas. We will celebrate Christmas again. And... Those hymns that we sing are just so beautiful. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing really, I think, encapsulates you know, a lot of what we read in, in, in John's Gospel. Now, I'm not off to a good start to keep this sermon short, as I was told. You know, sometimes people will encourage you, you know, oh yeah, there you go, you know, preach God's Word. But before I came running down, make it short. <laughs> Now, I don't know whether that, was, uh, that request was made through a person, like by Alex Fallow, so he could watch his beloved Miami Dolphins see the end of that game, or, or Tom Leaney, the San Francisco 49ers. And, and don't worry, my Green Bay Packers are going to get their butts kicked this ap- later this afternoon. I know. So, and, and they'll be done in about three weeks. So I'm not trying to make fun of you guys. So... I was figuring, how could I get that in there? But then, thankfully, somebody told me to be short. So I guess I'm eating into my, my short amount of time. But short is going to be relative to, you know, maybe our standards for how long, you know, our preachers are allowed to preach, I guess, for what? Was it 45 minutes or an hour that the bishop asked, you know, last week, that that's how long that he had? So, well, we'll get going. I'm going to be in John chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles or the leaflet, you know, please open them. Jesus was a great prophet, a teacher, a great man. You know, you'll hear people say that. And, and sadly, in, in the academy and in, in seminaries, you know, that's, that's said too often. And while that's true, we know Jesus was more than that. People don't deny you know, that Jesus, the man, existed and he died on the cross. They're historical facts. But many people, including some who call themselves Christians, don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was God. 
Well, here's a couple internet posts when I just did a, a Google search. And, you know, first I, I came to answers at yahoo.com, you know, where I get all my good sermon material from. <laughs> Go there for the word of God. Uh, it is entirely logical to believe in God, says one person. But not that Jesus was the Son of God. For example, you could be a Muslim. Do you think they deny God? Then we go to somebody who is, I think, a Christian. They have this uh, little article, Top Five Reasons Why Jesus is Not the Only Son, the Begotten Son of God, the One and Only. This is number two on that list of five. The other four were pretty bad. If this one's this one's bad, but it tells the what I want to tell. If Jesus had godly powers, he would not call on or pray to God. To pray to God means you're in need of God. The purpose of prayer is to ask God to do something for you. If you have godly powers, you do anything you want. So when one sincerely reflects on this, it makes no sense that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Now, these are not the views of the speaker, and I do, did not authorize that, that message, because I could spend a lot of time you know, on that. And, um, but there's people who believe that, and actually, you just see a lot of secular thought coming, coming through. And when I think of life, what life was like before Jesus Christ was, you know, through his grace, started coming into my heart and life, what, 25 years ago? I mean, I had gone to church some, and in certain, you know, number of years, I went most every Sunday. But um, I may have thought some things like this. And, and one of the struggles, even as a Christian, is not to be is to just not think I can do as much as I can do on my own and to take more than what's mine to bear. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to do that. And in John's first 18 verses, one of the, as, as we were reading through this again and I just I underlined some of the verses, and, and one of the, the great ones is, In Him, in the Word of God, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men and women. And think about that. That is so encouraging and something that I need and you need. We all need to just come back to and bathe ourselves in. The light of Christ makes all the difference in the world. He's, yes, he was a great man and a prophet and a teacher. And we could go on and on, but he was so much more than that. And we reap the benefits of that when we believe. Now, John's gospel, this, this gospel reading, and I, I joked at the 8 o'clock service where I get to read the gospel, and I told them, I'm not sure I'm going to let Deacon Diane read the gospel. I mean, as a deacon, that's her job, you know, to do that. So it's one of the great things about being deacon. You can have as many priests up there as you want, but when you're the one deacon, you get to read every week. It is such, it doesn't get any better than this 
gospel. It's just, it's just amazing. And, and I was going to futz around with my mic. I said, no, I've got to listen to this, this message you know, once again. And I've read this verse, these, this passage, many, many times. As a part-time preacher, I don't, I don't get too many times I preach on the same readings, but this one is always the Sunday after Christmas. So this one I've looked at a lot because... This is my Sunday. Father Jose's off after Christmas. But this first 18 verses are called the prologue to John's gospel. And in this, and really throughout his gospel, because he's kind of laying out the theme, the themes of his entire gospel, but he declares without any doubt that Jesus is God and he existed since the beginning of of the world. He opens right up with that. And I'm going to just summarize what these 18 verses are about, you know, and if you guys all think I did it well enough, maybe I can stop right there. He was with God in the beginning when God created the world and created all things through Jesus. Jesus was the one and only son of God who became a human being in the flesh and lived among human beings. As God and man and the one and only Son, Jesus has revealed God the Father to human beings and to the world. In Jesus, true spiritual life is found and is the light of the human race. By receiving Jesus and believing in his name, any person can be a spiritual child of God and live with God inside of him or her forever. Now, you may think I might have been a little long-winded on that. I have a Bible scholar from the 20th century and Professor F.F. F. Bruce who sums up this passage much more concisely. In the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, the glory of God was uniquely and perfectly disclosed. God had sent prophets for centuries. God, you know, had spoken to people who then, he spoke to the people of Israel, but he spoke to people like Moses and to, to Abraham and to, and to Jacob, and they would speak to others. And to prophets, there's 16 to 20 prophets that have books in the Old Testament, you know, from Isaiah, whom Richard read, to, the, to Daniel, to Malachi. But they were just men. God sent himself in the person of Jesus Christ to be both a man and God to reveal himself to people in ways he had never revealed himself before. He now was going to live amongst his people. He was with his people when they were in the wilderness, had the tabernacle, after they had um, been led out of Egypt, God had delivered them from slavery to the hands of the Egyptians. When they were in the wilderness, the tabernacle, the little tent, God would be, car- you know, they would carry that around. So they would have the presence of God with them. Then when Solomon built the temple, God dwelt inside the temple. And now, and those words, it's in verse, uh, I th- yeah, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word in Greek can also be translated um, tabernacled amongst his people, pitched his tent. Jesus pitched his tent. 
God pitched his tent in the persons of Jesus Christ to live as a human being. The way we could most see, we can't see an invisible God, but we can see God in human flesh. And that's what God did for us. And so, in verses 1 to 3, John comes out right there and says that Jesus was the Word who was with God in the beginning and and was involved in creating all things in the world. Jesus was God's agent of creation. God created, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there. I guess assisting God in the whole creation process. And by doing that, Jesus was before anything was. So Jesus existed without God. He's establishing that Jesus is God. Something that people back in Jesus' day, at the end of the first century A.D., when John wrote his gospel, and people to this day declare, but John strongly states that Jesus is God. And this word that he uses, word are things that we speak. And we know in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and the world was created. The heavens and the earth were created. And also by speaking, God is, John is communicating that the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. They are one, and Jesus is doing what God has called him to do. That's when the person says, you pray to God for what you want, you know, no. Jesus prayed for what his Father wanted. And that's the example that he has set for us. And then now moving on to verses 4 to 5. Life was in the Word. And this life was the light of men, and this light shines in the darkness. Now when he uses light, he's speaking of goodness and truth. The goodness and truth that are God, and that come from God and darkness is evil and falsehood that exists in the world and that is in human hearts when God is not there and God is not present and when we're left to our own devices. Now, that doesn't mean that good, good doesn't come out of people who don't acknowledge God at all, but darkness is evil and falsehood, but the great news that John tells us is that that darkness will not overcome the light of Christ. Now, when Jesus came in to the world 2,000 years ago, the world was full of darkness and sin. We read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, that evil King Herod killed innocent babies as he sought to kill the baby Jesus. He declared, because the wise men did not listen to him and tell him where baby Jesus was, because he wanted to kill him, so he went out and issued a decree that that, uh, every boy in Bethlehem and all the districts around, two years old and under, were to be killed. Well, we roll forward to the 20th century and to today in the 21st century. We have babies killed every year, every day. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court, legalized abortion in the U.S., since that time, 60 million baby fetuses in the womb have been aborted and killed. Approximately 1 million baby fetuses will have been aborted 
in the United States in 2015, and there's more around the world. And most of these were not done to protect the life of the mother or in cases of incest or rape. We've had evil all over the news, and we've been talking about terrorists even more in November and December after the November 13th terrorist attacks in Paris killed 150, and then on December 2nd it struck very close to home for us out in San Bernardino where 14 people were killed and 17 others injured in a holiday party at work during the day. But don't worry, one of our 16 presidential candidates is going to fix all the evils in this country and the world. You don't believe me? There's one, I don't know, I, I've heard one say, I'm going to make America great again. And that should take care of everything. No, I don't think so. As we know, and not to say that there aren't, you know, some very good men and women, you know, running for president. And hopefully, prayerfully, they, we will pick a good one that will do a good job. But they are not the answer to the darkness and the evil in our world and not the answer to all of our problems. We know who the answer is, and it's Jesus. Always has been and always will be. And God gave us everything. He created us. He put, you know, reason. He put the ability to think, the ability to commune with God, to love, to relate, all of that. But he also, through Jesus Christ, he is able to light our lives spiritually, to give us new birth as a child of God and life in Christ that will cast away the darkness of sin and unbelief. Our physical bodies get sick. None of us escapes death. We, the people of St. David's, have certainly seen death in our community, both people who've attended here in the past year. We have family members, and then, sadly, five days ago, for, for us here, Julie Wall passed away this past uh, Tuesday. But physical death is not the end when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior of the world. And you know, it was very sad and, and unexpected you know, that Julie died. But what a weekend you know, she had. She was confirmed last Sunday when our bishop visited. And, you know, Michelle and I were blessed to spend both Saturday night with her at a party where we were singing uh, carols and lessons and, and eating food and just, you know, having fun. And then, you know, we got to sit with her afterwards. And then, you know, to be confirmed. Um, you know, she's not, it's not the end for Julie. She's with her Lord. We're sad. We miss her. Um, and some of the people closest to her really miss her. And we, death is hard. But it's not the end of the story. Because Jesus is the light and life of the world. And Jesus is the true light. I'm going to skip over John. I may come back to him. Um, but don't feel like talking about him right now. Um, he's kind of stuck in here, John the Baptist. I don't got to, John's great. But... Um, skipping over, I want to stay on the light. In verses 9 to 11, we have the true light that gives light to everyone. It's available to everybody. And the, the passage says, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world and was in the world 
and the world was created through him. So he's available to all of us, no matter. And Jesus later on speaks of who he is in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, will have the light of life. But unfortunately, everybody doesn't recognize Jesus. And in Jesus' day, God sent him first to the Jewish people, to the people of Israel, his chosen people, who he had birthed as a nation, who he had redeemed out of Israel, who he had spoken to over and over and over again. He had made covenants with them, and he just kept loving them and, and forgiving them and just kept coming back and coming back to them. But they didn't recognize him. Most, nearly all, Jewish people, and most specifically, the religious leaders didn't recognize him and were actually, you know, as we know, violently opposed to him. And they ended up killing him. And even though he was with God in creating the world, and he was God, they didn't recognize the God in the flesh. And it's gone on like that for 20 centuries, and, and it will continue you know, to go on. But for those of us who do believe, who receive Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. We get to be part of the family of God. And it does, the beautiful thing about it, it's, it's open to anybody. It doesn't matter how famous we are, how much money we have, it doesn't matter what race, what nationality we are, whether we're born to the right family, the family on top of the hill, or the family in between, or, or down below, whatever status, it's, that doesn't matter. Because in Jesus' time, the Jewish people were number one in God, at least they thought, in, in God's eyes. Yet, they didn't receive him. And God, as we know, and thankfully, we may have a few, I think we have a few people of Jewish descent, but most of us are not. And as we know, God came for all of us. God sent Jesus for all of us to redeem all of us. But we just have to have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, whom God has sent. And so this light that, that comes in to our, into our hearts when we receive and believe is not just supposed to stay there. It's for us to shine that light out. And, and after we're um, in between services as I'm talking with people and then um, you know, had a ni- nice surprise with, you know, from two people who you know, mean a great the world to me, you know, come in and then just others. Part of what's so attractive is you see the light of Christ in, inside of them. And I don't know about, I, I mean, yes, it all starts with God. But we need more. We need each other. We need to see the light of Christ in others. The light of Christ in others can be influential. I think every one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ... And hopefully, if 
you are not walking with Christ if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, that there are people who believe in Jesus, that you see a light, that you see something as different, that you want more of what that is. Because I would bet every one of us, almost every one of us in this room, our faith is stronger and we may have gotten here because of people that God has placed in their life that shine the light of Christ. And we're human beings, so sometimes we all, sometimes that light, we just kind of want to hide it up. I'm, I'm not immune from that either. And, um, you know, I... I will say I work in a, I work at, as most of you know, I work at Los Angeles Mission. I work in a Christian organization. That doesn't make it any, mean that it functions, uh, you know, any better or the people are necessarily more Christ-like than in a non-Christian organization. Sometimes I'm not so sure, you know, it may be the other way around. But I'm not always shining that light of Christ as much as I should. Now, my job as the Chief financial officer, one of the things I used to, at, a pre, at my school back in New York, I used to call myself Dr. No, because sometimes, you know, you, a lot of times I have to tell people, no, we can't do it this way. And, and just sometimes, you know, too, and then especially, you know, this year, it's been a hard year of work. It's been, you know, I'm overloaded. And, and fortunately, in the last couple of weeks, and I, I hope that it lasts, um, God has gotten a hold of me because there, there are some things in the flesh that I've not been too happy about. And in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm looking like at my boss, and then especially who's a nice man to work for. You know, I'm pretty, I say I'm blessed to work for him. Um, but it's, I think my light's not shining as much as it should. And I'm also forgetting, you know, God's got a purpose and he's got a call for where he wants me to be. And that means I am not the number one person in that organization. I'm at least, at best, I'm number two or I'm tied with, that just means positionally. You know, we've got people throughout at different levels that, you know, we can't function without, but um, I don't want to make it, make it sound that way. But I have to remember what my position and what my place is. And God is doing things both in my job and even Outside, many of you know my, my brother, Father Charles. Well, Father Charles has been increasing his Skid Row ministry, and I do play an important role in him being in, in his ministry down there. And God's growing that ministry, and yet I will, while I'll think and I'll get mad, and I'll get upset about some of the things that are going on in, at work, and one thing I'm forgetting, God has put me there not just for the work of Los Angeles Mission, but for this budding Skid Row ministry that Father Charles has. Not that he can't do it if I'm not there, but I believe God has really got us at work down there. He largely does it. My role is to be you know, a support for him. And that's the beauty, and I'm going to come back to my buddy John the Baptist. Now that I'm kind of going a little bit into different places, John the Baptist one of the, the great things about John, and we see it right here, John doesn't forget what his purpose is and who he is and where he ranks. Oh, John was, he had people flocking to him. Like, you know, 
nobody, if you, you look at the people who attract followers today, John would have to be up at the top. People came out into the wilderness. Jewish religious leaders came out. Not that they wanted to necessarily believe what he was saying, but they came out to this guy to hear him, to hear his message of repentance, of sin. But John, you know, people come up, are you the Messiah? You know, they're saying, oh, this is Elijah. You know, because the Jewish people believed Elijah was going to come again. And, um, but he said no. And he said his lowliness, I'm not even worthy to tie, you know, to strap his, his sandal thong around on his foot. He knew who he was and his place. And his purpose was extremely important because he prepared the way for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he's a great example you know, to all of us to live in our purpose and that God has for us and to walk in humility. And now I want to move on. I want to go, I don't know whether it's move on or go back to verse 14. The Word became flesh and lived with us. Amazing, isn't it? The God of the universe lived, came to live with his people for 33 years. And he chose, you know, in his three and a half years of ministry, he picked 12 disciples and he took them under his wing. And the plan of God, they lived with God in the flesh and, part of, and God's plan and, and Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and the sending of the Holy Spirit allows God to live inside of us. All we have to do is believe. And Jesus gave up a lot to do this. He, gave, he was up at the right hand of God and he took on our human limitations, but he didn't take on sin. And then he died a cruel and vicious death on the cross for our sins. Not the sins he committed, but the sins that we did. And it's all because of God's grace and truth. Words that are in verses 14 and, and I think also end in, uh, in 17. That word, the grace and truth, brings us back to Exodus 34, 6, after you know, the people of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. That grace and truth speak of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people in spite of their sins and his mercy and his grace and his forgiving sin and transgression and iniquity. And then God just didn't give us a little bit of grace. And that's what that word of grace upon grace means that there's no limit to God's grace that he has made available to his people through Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then also, through Jesus, he's given us a full measure of, his, of God's divine glory and goodness in the person of Jesus Christ. And God did this to reveal himself to his people. And it's amazing, because when we look back in the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses two people that he had the greatest, as great a relationship with as, as any men in the Bible. 
They couldn't see God in all his divine glory, but we can. And the people really did who recognized him back 2,000 years ago. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses, God said, I know Moses face to face, yet he didn't see all of God's divine glory. God had to put up a cloud to veil that because Moses and no human could handle this. It's nothing we could do. God did it all for us. And I'm sure many of you, like me, are so thankful that God has given Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of the world. And thankfully, it doesn't depend on our merit or on anything else man measures human worth and success by. God's mercy, grace, His invitation, and His pursuit, His continued pursuit of our hearts has made salvation from sin and spiritual death available to all who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God. Because of that first Christmas when Jesus was born into the world and through his death, his life, death, and resurrection, we can proclaim, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Receive him in your heart today for the first time, or let God's Holy Spirit open your heart ever wider so that the living Lord Jesus can take up more and more of your life. More of Jesus should be our heart's desire every day for the rest of our lives. It is the only way to live in this world of darkness, and it is the only way of eternal life. Amen. Please stand.